Welcome to Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today the Bible bus travels through Job 18, right after we hear some introductory remarks from Dr. McGee. But first, let me remind you that if you'd like to get a copy of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines, they're available as a complete set in our digital book, Briefing the Bible. You can download your free copy at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll put an abbreviated paperback version in the mail to you. And if you'd like to share Dr. McGee's teaching with a family member or friend, visit ttb.org, where you can listen online for free. Or call 1-800-65-BIBLE to request a pack of our free Listen Bible Bus Passes. Each pass is roughly the size of a business card and features our website address and a QR code that links to our daily studies. Here's Dr. McGee with a quick introduction. Our study today, friends, brings us to Job, the 18th chapter, at verse 1. Now, we invite you to... Get your Bible and follow along, especially in this book of Job. We are in a section where a great many pious platitudes and a great many cliches are being used, and many of them are good, but sometimes they are not applicable to the individual that is speaking. I heard this summer of... One, and it applies to us preachers, you know, in our set today, in our group, in the conservative wing of the church, we use a great many Christian cliches, great many pious platitudes, and they are actually sometimes meaningless. We go around saying, praise the Lord, and if it's something especially nice, it's hallelujah, we can say also, I'm praying for you. And we preachers are guilty of that. I heard this summer the story about a lady that was walking out of church on Sunday morning, and she shook hands with the pastor, and she said to him, I want to thank you for that sermon this morning. And he said in a very nice, pious manner, he said, oh, don't thank me. Thank the Lord for the sermon. And she answered, she said, I thought about that, but it wasn't quite that good. May I say to you that the friends of Job are quoting him many pious platitudes, but they are not applicable to Job as we're going to see as we come now to our study today. Heavenly Father, bless richly the study of your word. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's open to Job 18, verse 1, as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come today to this 18th chapter of the book of Job. And here is where we get this second man, as we said last time, Bildad. This is the second one to speak, and this is his second time around. You see, we're getting rebuttal now, and so far there's been nothing new added. We had first Eliphaz, and he certainly didn't add anything new. He played the same record. And now Bildad, he comes on with another string of epigrams and pious platitudes and sick cliches, but nevertheless, some of them are good, but they're not applicable 
to the case of Job. And the thing that he says to him in a rather nice way, how long will it be? Are you making an end of words? He says, why don't you shut up and start listening? And then he says, if you'll do that and start listening, afterwards we'll speak. Well, of course, his friend's been doing a good job of speaking also. Wherefore, we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight. Why do you look with contempt upon us? Well, the answer to that, of course, is obvious. That's the way they've been looking at Job. And this has just been a standoff. And they've been, I think, glaring at each other all this time. Those who came as friends are no longer his friends. And he then begins this line of platitudes now. He says, He tareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? What he's saying to this man is, Do you think God's going to run his universe just to suit you? Because, you see, this man was a traditionalist, and he rests everything on the past, and anything that was true in the past, it's good enough for today. That is the method that he uses. In other words, Job, cannot you show some sense so that we may come to an understanding here? Do you think that your contempt for us as incompetent, are your rage at the divine dealings going to release you now from the trap that you're in? Because listen to him now. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. And nothing truer could be spoken than that, but that's not quite accurate to say that to Job, by the way. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. Now, notice, he's cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. What he's saying to him, Job, you've been caught in a net like a fish. And it's not because we've done anything. We are supposed to be here to help you, and you don't listen to us. And you're in that position, and he comes back to the old charge that there's something in your life. You've just walked into a trap. And then he says in verse 9, The jinn shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The jinn means the trap. The trap will take him. You've been caught like a bear in a trap because you've been fooling around with the bait or you wouldn't have been caught. You see, he gives these little pious platitudes and writes QED after each one of them. That is, this is something that's proven, like a geometric problem. When you take all the steps, you come to a conclusion. And when you come to the conclusion, that's it. But life is not quite like that. And you can get some wrong premises if your premises are accurate, of course, you can come up with a good deduction. But if all your premises are wrong, why, you see, in a geometric problem, if A equals 10 and you make it equal 15, you're going to have trouble with the answer, though you may use the right method. These men are putting down their formula, and they're coming up with the wrong premises to put in the formula. And each one of them does that. But he comes back and makes it a hard, fast rule. He's just walked into a trap, and it couldn't be otherwise. And then he goes on to say here, For he is sent into the net by his own feet, and he walketh on the meshes. And that is a little different translation. 
But it's exactly what he's saying here to Job. Then he goes on to tell him that disease shall waste the body of the wicked, and the fire of God's going to destroy his habitation, and his name shall be blotted out. His family shall perish, and he's going to have neither son nor grandson, and his desolation shall astonish future generations. And friends, that's true, but it's not applicable to Job at all. That is the thing that you can say something true that has no present application at all to an individual. And that's the reason that a great deal of so-called counseling today is dangerous. Many think that I have certain hang-ups. For instance, I go after psychologists, not individuals, but as a group I do. I think there are many fine Christian psychologists. I know some of them, and I'd recommend them. But very candidly, there are some of them that their premises are not accurate. And for that reason, they are not able to counsel. And these men were not able to counsel Job. The wicked are going to be judged. The wicked will have this happen to them. They'll be blotted out in our day. Look what happened to Hitler. Look what happened to Stalin. Look what's happened to other of the dictators of Khrushchev, for instance, died in ignominy by the same crowd that had elevated him to a high position. As they live, they die. And that's true. But you don't apply that to Job. He's not that kind of a man by any means. Now in verse 18, let me put in there, he shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. And that's quite a figurative expression of the wicked, but it's not applicable to Job at all. Now, he goes on to say that he's going to have neither son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Well, a man likes to have a son or a daughter and grandchildren. It's something that you can be proud of. And sometimes the wicked seem to have more than anyone else. But the thing is true here that Job now, and it's a cruel thing to give him at this time because he doesn't have a child left. They've all been slain. But God's going to make it up to him, and we'll see that when we come to it. And verse 21, now the last verse of the 18th chapter, Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. In other words, he is depicting the wicked, and the position of the wicked, the end of the wicked, and it looks like Job is at the end of the row. And he says, now this is the way it is, and does it fit you, Job? And it does, by the way. But you see, they cannot believe that the thing that's happening to Job could happen to him for any other reason than the reason they've suggested. They just can't believe that it cannot. And Job is going to say that to them now when he answers them. He's saying to them, can't you conceive it possible that God has entangled me in his net and he's left his action unexplained? That there must be an explanation for it, but your explanation may not be right. And then the mistake Job is beginning to make, as you can see, is this. He knows they are wrong. But their being wrong did not make him right. His attitude 
is wrong too here. He has a wrong conception of God also at this time, although light breaks in from time to time. Now, in this chapter 19, we're going to see the great faith of Job and listen to him as he begins. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? You see, this is like some physical combat. It's like a football team when you hear a coach say, well, you know, they tore up our defense. They've been breaking Job up with words. They've been breaking down his defense. Now he says here, these ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And you see, the more they talked, the more alienated they became from Job. And they are not right, but neither is Job right. And Job thinks because they are wrong that that would make him right. But actually, it does not. Had Job's conscience and his life been opened in the presence of God, what position should he have taken? Well, let me make this suggestion. I think that he should not have replied to his friends at all. Now, so many people think they have to defend themselves in the position that I've been in for years and on radio. A great many people think the gift of preaching, teaching is a wonderful gift. I do. I thank God for it. But may I be very frank and say to you, it's a dangerous gift to have because it puts you up where you can be shot at and you can be criticized. And I have people that come to me from time to time and say, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you write a little book and defend yourself? Well, I don't need to. To begin with, someone has put it like this. Your friends that know you don't need an explanation, and your enemies wouldn't believe it anyway. So I have found out that in time, things answer themselves. But very candidly, I don't think that you need to defend yourself in these cases at all. And my suggestion would be that Job should not have answered these friends at all. He should have just bowed in sweet submission. Now, somebody's going to say, you don't do that. No, I don't. I'm just telling Job what to do, friends. No, I don't do that. But I think that he should have just bowed to it and listened to him and then told him goodbye, showed him where the front gate was to the city dump and told him to leave. But you see, he was bent upon vindicating himself. And there's so many people that feel like they have to do that. I think of so many men that have let time adjudicate their case. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was accused very cruelly. And he sought to defend himself. He didn't need to. Time has brought it out. And the late Dr. DeHaan, great man that he was, he was severely attacked when he was pastor of a church. And Dr. DeHaan, at that time, well, there have been those that sought to defend him. Well, Dr. DeHaan didn't need any defense because time is justified and has revealed the fact that those charges made against him were false indeed. Now, I personally think Job should have taken that position, that he should not have come out with this defense of himself. But listen to him. These ten times have ye reproached me. You're not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. 
he's become an alien. Why didn't he just keep quiet and he wouldn't have had 10 messages from him? He doesn't see that, apparently. But he still has a great faith in God. And you notice him now as he moves on. He says, and be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. In other words, he says, no one knows it but me, apparently, because you fellas can't point it out. And I don't know it. And he doesn't. Someone has said that the Lord didn't make us perfect, but he made us blind to our errors. Well, I don't think the Lord did that. But that is a true statement. We're not perfect, but we are, most of us are blind to our faults. And so this man here is blind to a great many of his faults. Now, will you notice, he says, if indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. And what he's saying to them is this, God has done this. And he hasn't given an explanation. And couldn't it be for some reason that he hasn't explained? But they're determined that their explanation, of course, is the right one. And he almost pleads with his friends here. He says, he hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. He says, oh, God is mistreating me. It's true, and there must be an explanation for it, and it must be an explanation different from yours, because I know that God is letting this happen to me for a purpose But I don't know what the purpose is. And he goes on talking in that vein and finally comes up in verse 23. He says, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. And this man says here, I wish my life was written out and put in a book. And I'd be willing for my worst enemy to write it And I'd go around with it around my neck, like a necktie, and I'd just show it to everybody and say, look, this is what my worst enemy says about me, and he has to praise me. Now, would you want your worst enemy to be the one to write your biography? I'm not sure I want my best friend to. I have a couple of friends who want to write my biography, and I've discouraged them. Very frankly, I want to stand on God's books. I think it'll be more accurate. And I think it'll be lots worse there, too, but it'll be accurate, and that's the important thing. And now listen to him. Now Job expresses his great faith. These men attempt to break him down. And this is actually the devil's subtle attempt. When he brings a man to a place where he is not humble before God, but he vindicates himself. But at the same time, the devil wanted to break him down to where he would defend himself, though he's hit rock bottom. But Job hasn't hit rock bottom, by the way. And these friends have not broken him down. He has a living, real faith in God. Here is one of the great statements of the Bible. And it's not just the statement that's great. It's great because the man who gave it is a sick man, and this man is ready to expire. 
He's lost everything. He's under the discipline of Almighty God, and he feels the lash upon his back. And yet he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Don't tell me that you're going to go back now and pick up the words of Job at first when he was in the shock of all this trouble and he wanted to die and he spoke of death at least would get him away from his troubles. He's not talking about uh, soul sleep. I think that's obvious. He says, I know that within my flesh, I'm going to see God. (laughs) He's not going to be asleep, by the way, that worms may destroy his body, but he's going to see God. This body of ours, friends, it's not going to go to sleep. It's going to be put right back in the earth. And the dead in Christ are put to sleep. The body is, but they go in their spirit to be with Christ immediately. And how wonderful that is. Now he cries out to them, having made this great statement, but ye would say, why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matters found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. He's saying to these men, don't you know that God will punish you for saying what you've said to me? Now the last man is going to speak to him in this round. This is the second round and the last of the second round. The third man, Zophar, will speak to him. Then we're going to have, of course, the third round, and it's going to be a pretty brief round, by the way. And this man, Zophar, won't even get in on the third round. It's over with before it gets to him, because I think that we can't say that Job won And we can't say Job lost. Can't say the friends won or they lost. It was a standoff. Now, will you notice as we come here, and I just get our foot in the door here of chapter 20. Then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. Now, Zophar is the legalist. Now, God works according to law and order. And that's true to a certain extent. But that throne of law and order and judgment is today a throne of grace. And Zophar knew nothing about that. And when you know nothing about the throne of grace, you don't know anything about grace at all. And therefore, this man could say, I've heard the check of my reproach and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. In other words, this man Zophar And I think he was the eldest. He was the senior citizen here. And he says, I know what I'm talking about. I'm competent to speak on this subject. Well, let's see what subject he's going to speak on next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. What a great study. You know, I particularly loved when Dr. McGee said, Even though Job knew his friends were wrong, it didn't make him right. Let's think about that a little bit more. 
And if something that we're studying is changing and challenging you, well, we'd certainly love to hear about it. You can send us an email at BibleBus at ttb.org, or you can send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. You can also leave your thoughts at 1-800-65-BIBLE. And we know that you're busy during these summer months, but your notes of encouragement all year round mean so much to us. So if you got time, drop us a line to tell us about what you're learning in God's Word. And if God's laying it on your heart to provide maybe a tank of gas to keep the Bible bus going in your community and around the world, you can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or give online at ttb.org forward slash give. Now, we don't use a lot of high-pressure tactics or sales methods, as Dr. McGee called them, but if you're ready to partner with us in getting out God's whole word to his whole world, we'd really love to hear from you. Well, Job is about to find out that he's not as upright as he thinks he is, but he still provides us with a wonderful example of how we can have hope in God in spite of great suffering. Are you able to cling to that hope that God is working all things for good to them who love God? Well, if you want some help in understanding more about suffering and the sovereignty of God, you can download Dr. McGee's free digital booklets, Why Do God's Children Suffer? and Job, A Man Stripped Bear, in the resources section of ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, grateful for your company on the Bible bus today and every day as we study God's Word together. We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.